Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 26. Uh, This can be found on page 815 on most of your pew Bibles. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. May God bless the reading of his word. So I came to faith and attended a church much like this. And so we would celebrate Easter. We'd go down to the rocks on the ocean side and have a worship service uh, at sunrise. And then we'd come back to and, and worship together. And I'd been a Christian about five years when I went overseas to study in grad school at an Anglican school. My first Easter there, I'm walking to the chapel for worship. And my professor is walking to the chapel, sees me, and calls out, Christ is risen. Now he said it in such a way that I knew I was supposed to say something. But no one had ever told me what I was supposed to say. So I paused for a moment. I couldn't think of it. And so I said, yes, he has, sure. (laughs) The church, in all times, in all places, in all segments, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Protestant, historic Protestant, ancient and contemporary, has always celebrated Resurrection Sunday with the same refrain, Most of you would know it. Christ is risen, and the response is, he is risen indeed. And in public, we greet each other that way the first time you see somebody in the morning. And then in public, this worship service celebrates it three times in a row. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. This morning we come together to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and to reflect on his resurrection, but also to celebrate our resurrection and to reflect on that. We'll look together this morning at one way that Christ rose and at two ways that we rise with Christ. The resurrection of Christ, what does it mean? You know, to answer that question, first we've got to ask, why was Jesus killed? This is a different question than we normally ask. Normally we ask, why did Jesus die? And we're familiar with the answer to that question. Why did God send Jesus to live? And then, why did he send Jesus to die? Why did Jesus willingly embrace his death? Now, we're familiar with that question. And and instinctively we know, by now we've been taught, so it's reflexive for us to say, 
He died for our sins. He's like the lamb in Leviticus that takes the worshiper's sins on the lamb and then the lamb is slaughtered as a symbol of what should happen to the worshiper. It does happen to the lamb. The blood is poured out on the altar and then the sinner can be freed from death. We know why Jesus died. To be the lamb who takes away the sin from us so that we can come before God holy. But it's a different question to ask, why was Jesus killed? And to understand the significance of the resurrection for Jesus, we need to understand why he was killed. Why Jewish leaders in the first century thought it essential to kill him. Why Roman government cooperated in killing him. Why did Jesus die is one question, but the other is, why was Jesus killed? And then, what does the resurrection say to that? You see, Jesus was killed to make a point. And the resurrection trumps that point. So why was Jesus killed? We've been looking together recently, for those of you who are just visiting, we've been preaching throughout the Old Testament, and we were in the part that talks about the kings, first and second Samuel, then first and second Kings. And we see that it's really hard in the ancient times to separate politics and religion. I mean, it's still hard today, but at least we theoretically, we try to separate politics and religion. But politics and religion, they can't really be separated, and they never could. When you ask why was Jesus killed, Jesus was killed for political reasons. And, you know, we think our understanding of Jesus is predominantly religious, apolitical. And so for us, it's natural to ask, why would anyone kill Jesus when he came to save people from sin and he taught about loving each other and, and caring for the world? Why would anyone kill him? Well, they didn't kill him for that. They killed him for political reasons. You know, a, a week ago, we, we celebrated Palm Sunday when Jesus mounted a donkey and rode into the city of Jerusalem. Now the crowds knew what he was saying when he did that because King Solomon had done something like that centuries earlier. And Jesus mounts that donkey and rides into Jerusalem and the crowds cry out. In the words of the Old Testament, they cry out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna on highest. Jesus was enacting. He wasn't just saying, he was acting out a role. And the crowd knew what that role was. And it was a political role. Jesus was saying, I am the one who comes as the long-expected king of Israel. I am the one who comes to reign, not just over Israel, but the expectation was that when Israel had a righteous king, we saw it in 1 Samuel, that when, when Israel has a righteous king, then the king won't even have to lead Israel in the battle. Israel won't even have to fight. God will fight for them. And Israel will conquer the world. And Jesus came in to the city and said, I'm the king. 
And then he went into the temple. And he cast out the money changers. And the Jewish leaders understood what he was saying. He was insisting that he was coming to reform the worship of Israel. As a Jewish king was meant to do. Lead the people in righteousness. But he was a Galilean. He was provincial. He was from the countryside. He wasn't an authorized rabbi. He was criticizing the authorized rabbis. So the, the Jews understood. And they brought him to the Roman authorities as a king. Because that was language that the Romans understood. Why did the, you know, think of the interrogation before Herod and Pilate. What was the question that preoccupied them? The, the only concern they had, they didn't care about Jesus as a religious leader. The only question they had for Jesus is, are you the king of the Jews? It's a political question. Now why are they asking? You see, it's Passover. The city of Jerusalem is swelled with masses of people. Five or ten times as many people as normally live there. And just like today in many religious settings, it's ripe for revolt. Israel was offended at being occupied by the Romans. And the Romans are anxious about any populist revolt occurring in the middle of the Passover that would destroy the city. And the Jewish leaders brought Jesus in. He claims to be king of the Jews. There's going to be an insurrection. And the Romans, the Roman authorities were suspicious because generally the Jews and the Romans didn't cooperate. And they asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Why did they crucify Jesus? It wasn't just a miserable way to kill somebody. It was the most popular form of insurrection, I'm sorry, popular form of uh, execution for somebody who was guilty of insurrection. Who was Jesus killed beside? You know, historically our Bibles have said two robbers. No. Roman authorities did not generally crucify robbers. The same word that is translated robbers, scholars recognize now, is probably meant to be translated insurrectionists. These were militants that Jesus was killed alongside. Jesus was killed because he was a threat to the political and religious establishment. And Jesus was killed to make a point. And here's the point. You say you're king of the Jews? We kill you. You're dead. You're not king of anything. A king is somebody who conquers, not somebody who dies. He was killed to make a point. And he rose to make a point. From our reading today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. He must reign. He is king. They put him to death to demonstrate that he was not king. He was not emperor. He rose and demonstrated that he is king. 
He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, all power. This is political language. He reigns. He will hand over the the reign of God. He will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, all authority, all power. All of this is political language. So the very first thing, or, or, or one of the key things that the resurrection means for Jesus is that he is king, as he claimed. It's a political message. He is king. Caesar Augustus, in the first century, accrued titles to show how powerful he was or to to broadcast his great power. Caesar Augustus was called Savior. uh, Caesar Augustus was called Lord. Caesar Augustus was called Son of God. And in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what the Father is saying is, No, Caesar, you are not Lord. Jesus is. You are not Son of God. Jesus is. You are not Savior of the world. Jesus is. We think about what that means for us today. And we don't jump from the political first century to the religious 21st century. The first message we have to hear from this is a political message. Caesar Augustus was not Lord, Son of God, or Savior. The U.S. is not the world's superpower. Nor is Russia, nor is China. And our leaders are not omnipotent. There is one God. There is one Son of God. This is the message, the first message of Easter, is that Jesus is that king. He is that ruler. As Jeffrey prayed, we heard with horror of al-Shabaab killing 150 or so Christians in Kenya today. Uh, Sorry, this week. And then in mid-February, there was 21 Coptic Christians killed by ISIS in Libya. Uh, The message of Easter is a message about Jesus. And it's a message to al-Shabaab. It's a message to al-Qaeda. It's a message to America. ISIS is not sovereign over this world. Boko Haram is not sovereign over this world. Al-Qaeda is not sovereign. There is one king, one lord. Easter begins as a political message. Of course it has spiritual implications. Because don't you suppose that if Barack Obama answers to God, we will too? Uh, Don't you suppose that if Vladimir Putin answers to God, we will too? Uh, Don't you suppose that if Xi Jinping answers to God, we also will? 
So it becomes a spiritual message. He's Lord not only of the world, but he's Lord over our lives. It becomes a spiritual message, but it begins as a political message. We recognize one Lord, one Savior, one Sovereign over heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. This is the message of Easter for Jesus. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Then the end will come, and he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, all power. Whatever else happens in our country or in our world, this is the message of Easter. This is the message of the resurrection of Jesus. He reigns supreme. And everybody else is secondary. He reigns over all heaven and earth. Now this has an implication for us. It actually has two implications for us. Jesus reigned. Now the first implication for us is this. That we will one day resurrect as he did. 1 Corinthians 15 puts it like this. Since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, each in turn. Christ first, and then when he comes, all those who belong to him. You see, the first promise to us of the resurrection of Christ is that we will one day rise. Now, I can remember coming to faith at 17 and not really caring at all about heaven. What I cared about was the meaning of this life. I didn't care about the future. And I would suppose for many of you who are young and still vital, the future of life in heaven is really kind of insignificant. It's not a pressing. It's not doesn't feel like it's pressing. But this is one of the benefits of Easter and the resurrection of Christ, is that we will one day live with him, resurrected. Emily Phillips. Maybe you've heard her name or you've seen her obituary because it's gone viral. Emily Phillips is a school teacher in Florida, died just recently, 69 years old, died of cancer. She wrote her own obituary, knowing that the end was coming. She read it to her family a couple weeks before she died. And then she had it read at her funeral. And then they published it online and it spread. And it begins like this. It pains me to admit it, she said. But apparently, I've passed away. I didn't want to, but once again, I don't get what I want. Many of you are too young to care about a life after this. A few of you are old enough to think about it. All it takes is one heart attack. All it takes is one diagnosis of cancer. And then suddenly, the future, the future of life after this, becomes very important. All it really takes is aging. And thinking about the relationship you have with your children, 
the relationship you have with your parents and thinking, this is far too meaningful to be just a random flash in the pan that ends. There's got to be something here that outlasts life itself. Uh, Our hearts preach the gospel to us. There's got to be more. Emily Phillips wrote, describing her life, she wrote these three clauses. I was born, I blinked, and then it was all over. Like some of you, maybe you're even past the stage, I can remember sitting in school thinking this class will never be over. Let alone this year, I'll never get to be 16 and drive. I'll never get to be 18 and, I was going to say drink, but vote. I'll never get to be 21 and be a full-fledged adult. I was born. I blinked. And it was over. If you're young, you probably think this sermon is never going to be over. (laughs) And if you're old, I'm sorry. Very few of you are even come close to me at my age. But if you're at my age, you're probably thinking, like I think, where did it all go? I know many of you are young parents, and every day you wake up thinking, am I going to make it through today? Because you've got all this work. I can remember the day my first son was born. Vividly I remember that day. And a lot of other days when he was just a little guy. And now he's 32. And I think, where did all that time go? I was born. I blinked. And it was over. My eldest son typically celebrates his birthday down in Florida doing what he loves to do, fishing. He stays with his grandma. We all have free rent, room and board. So every birthday, or most birthdays, I get to call him. And his birthday was just recently. I call. And my mother and I have this same phone conversation every time. I say to my mother, I can't believe I have a son who's 32. And my mother says to me, I can't believe I have a son who's 62. (laughs) And to get revenge, I say, I can't believe I have a mother who's 82. (laughs) True story. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. My mother would tell you that. 82 years, a flash in the pan, and you're saying, is this all there is? Now, if some of you are having a hard time believing this or resonating with this, here's the thing. Some of you were here when I came, and I bet, I was 47 when I came, and I bet you thought, Wow, that guy's really old. You know, our previous pastor was with David Rowe, and I don't know if David was even past 30 when he left. And and you jump from 30 to 47, well, that guy's old. Now, I know, I've been here 15 years. I know there's a whole bunch of you who used to think 47 was old, and now think, whoa, now you're 40, and maybe it doesn't look so old. I tell you, a day is coming 
and you will say, I was born, I blinked, and it was over. And your heart will scream, it can't be over. Not because you want to live forever, but just because the connections you made in this life and some of the things you did were far too meaningful to be fleeting. Well, Emily Phillips helps us here too, because she ends with this. Today I am happy, and I am dancing. Whatever the basis for her conviction, it's certainly true. I was born, I blinked, and it was over. Oh, no, 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 no. Only the warm-up is over. This life is only a warm-up for what's to come. And that life goes on forever. This is the promise of the resurrection. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Each in turn, Christ first. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. D.L. Moody. Many of you know the name Billy Graham. Well, D.L. Moody preceded Billy Graham by a hundred years. D.L. Moody put it this way. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of Northfield, Massachusetts is dead. Don't you believe it. At that moment, I will be more alive than I am even now. Life is not the end. Death is not the end. We have a promise of new life, a promise of new bodies. As Christ was resurrected, so we will be resurrected. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now this is our first resurrection, or the first one we think of, the one that's promised to us, the one that we're more familiar with. It's actually our second resurrection because we skip over, often we skip over our first resurrection. But the Apostle Paul, the New Testament doesn't skip over our first resurrection. You see, Christ is raised. That promises at the end of time we will be raised. But that's our second resurrection. The resurrection of Christ promises us that we'll be resurrected even now. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 6. He writes, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Don't, don't let that future tense throw you off. We will also live with him. It's not a future in time. It's a certainty about the present. Because he continues, the death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, he calls us, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. This is our first resurrection. The resurrection that occurs when we come to Christ and throwing ourselves on his mercy. His death atones for our sin, but it doesn't just do that. Christ did not stay in the tomb. He resurrected. And so as he died, he rose. We die to sin with him. And we rise to new life with him. Christ dwells within us. He transforms us. He enables us, empowers us to be what we long to be, 
what we know we should be, but what we really deeply down want to be. People who are renewed by the power of God. People whose lives are governed by the resurrection life of Christ. He doesn't simply bring us life in the future. He brings us life in the present. He doesn't just bring us life over cancer or over heart attack. He brings us life over envy and covetousness, materialism. He brings us life over anger and hate. He brings us life over greed and sin and lust. Not just life then, but life now. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same manner, we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let this be our testimony this Resurrection Sunday, that Jesus reigns over heaven and earth. He reigns over our countries. He reigns over our lives. He proved it by his resurrection. Let this be our testimony this Resurrection Sunday, that just as he rose from the dead, so too one day we will rise and live forever. Let this be our testimony, this Resurrection Sunday, that our life does not wait for the future, but it's begun now. Because he resurrected, not only on the platform of history, but he resurrected within our lives, renewing us to love and serve him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we would praise you for the resurrection of Jesus, Lord of the universe, Lord of our lives. We look forward to our own resurrection with all those who love and serve you. And in the meantime, Father, we will take hold of this promise that you resurrect us now to love and serve you. We worship you in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen.